Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. And as always, thanks for joining me. This is part two of My Alien Abduction. In this episode, I'm speaking with researcher and hypnotist Mary Rodwell. Now, in part one of this series, I mentioned I reached out to Mary and that we'd had a conversation. And in this part, I interview Mary. And this is a bit of a different interview. If you've heard Mary's work before, she's a researcher who started the Australian Close Encounter Research Network, also known as ACERN. And she's worked with over 3,500 experiences, uncovering memories through hypnosis and counselling, and also, I guess, just offering her expertise to help people kind of come to terms with these phenomenal experiences. This interview with Mary is... I mean, I've heard a fair few of her interviews now at this point, and I feel like this one is pretty different just because what the point of this was is it was really for me to speak with Mary for about an hour or so and kind of get to know her on, I guess, a one-on-one kind of level, you know. I guess I really just wanted to flesh out um, some of my sort of the, the questions that I kind of had and I guess the things which were important for me to get to speak with her about in order to, I guess, make maybe some sort of connection or at least feel comfortable with actually allowing her to hypnotize me. I think part two, which you're hearing right now, was pretty important in the three-part series. You know, it was really for me to, I guess, get a sense of calmness around everything kind of leading up to this point. You know, it was after having this conversation, I felt a fair bit better, I would say, maybe. I guess it kind of went both ways, but at one, it's in one sense, it did sort of, you know, calm me down a little bit in kind of just getting to speak with Mary, you know, you take a lot of comfort knowing that she's done this a lot. She's, you know, devoted uh, the last quite a few years of her life to this work. And I don't know, it was really, it was just really important for me to have this conversation, you know. Um, I mean, I'm not really sure how this typically works with her. I'm assuming if, you know, if you were to book a hypnosis session with her, you know, there probably would be some lead in in that session where, you know, you actually get to talk and, make some sort of connection or bond, you know, because what you sort of go in, what you're about to do, um, which you're going to hear in part three, is pretty, it's pretty wild, right? You know, to really let someone, let you be very vulnerable um, in, I mean, you know, they're kind of somewhat, they're not really in your subconscious, you know, because they're just, they're just guiding you to, you know, sort of search through your own subconscious. It's pretty... I mean, yeah, it's it's a really strange thing and, you know, I don't think a lot of people really ever get to do it. So um, it was, yeah, it's very important, I think, to establish, I don't know, just some sort of relationship before actually, you know, just going straight into the hypnosis. So I hope you guys can get something out of this and maybe get some more answers into the hypnosis method when it comes to, I guess, looking for answers with abductees. So please welcome Mary to the podcast. Mary, hello. Hello, Dylan. How are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. Please, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself and how you've kind of found yourself in this very interesting career. Well, who would believe a nurse and a midwife would end up 
uh, traveling the world talking about UFOs and uh, uh, extraterrestrials. And certainly that wasn't in my vision for myself when I was 20 and was nursing and all the rest of it. And I've often said that if somebody had told me, you know, um, that my future would be, you know, traveling the world doing this, I'd have probably sent them to the nearest psychiatrist. So the bottom line is it's like many people, they get different things happen during their lives that move them in a certain direction that you often don't expect in terms of this human adventure. And for me, it started out obviously as a nurse and a midwife. I then became a counsellor. I trained as a counsellor in a medical practice in England um, and worked there for a number of years until we migrated to Australia, where I continued counselling, working in grief and bereavement, you know, hospice. And and what was interesting about going into the, if you like, the psychological side or the psychology of, of people's experiences and how they dealt with things gave me an insight into healing even because I realised that a lot of the time, if we don't address our issues, that ends up being manifest into an illness and what have you. So I was very keen to see the connection to all of that. That led me into, again, looking at this more spiritual perspective. And I start and I've always been like yourself, very interested in the weird and the wonderful, the paranormal. It's it's always fascinated me, the supernatural, you know, and anything that was unusual or strange was something I, I had always been interested in. It's something I'd read about lots of different things um, right across the board. And if it was weird and wonderful, I probably had a book on it ultimately. You know what I mean? Because it always fascinated me, the levels of trying to understand why are we here? What's it all about? You know, all those big questions were always in my mind right from a little girl trying to understand, you know, what we're here for. And, you know, is there such a thing as other lives? Is there such a thing as other intelligences or whatever, but I never really got into looking at it from a ET perspective. It was always angels, it was always spirit guides, it was always, you know, some of the ascended masters, all this kind of thing, but I'd never really looked at the connection it may have to non-human intelligence in terms of ETs, light beings, energy beings, mantis, all those kinds of things never really crossed my mind I can't even tell you why it was, they were always humanoid of some kind until I had a lovely gentleman who now is a researcher and author himself in England. Ellis Taylor was um, a good friend and he he said, I've heard you're open minded, Mary, for this there's no support groups for this. They just think you're crazy and told me about his own recall of being on board craft, having shaved areas, this kind of on his legs, not knowing where, how it happened. His partner was having experiences, the children were having experiences. And he says, and you know, that you're just sort of as crazy. And I was still doing advanced counseling at the time. I took his case and I thought it was very brave really to take this case to supervision, thinking, oh, they're gonna think Mary's lost the plot now. But I was seeking answers for him because I believed him. Because there are lots of things, you know, in this Dylan that, you know, a lot of those that have experiences really struggle with themselves to validate the reality, let alone other people judging it who haven't had the experience. So, you know, you've got this double whammy really is, is this really happening to me or am I crazy? Which is, you know, often the phone call will start off with, I hope you don't think I'm crazy, um, to realizing that if it is real, everything they've ever believed in their life is changed from that moment because, 
you know, we're taught a certain way of, of believing, you know, what our reality consists of and all this kind of thing. So the bottom line was, is this real? And there were very tangible things like marks on the body, missing time, all these kind of things that a lot of people don't actually realize are very tangible and very real to this experience, including people changing in enormous ways and, and very significant ways. So for me, taking him to super, this case to supervision, not one of those in supervision, and there was uniting minister, there was a psychologist, the social worker and whatever, not one of them said they thought he was crazy. They all, though, started telling me about their own weird and wonderful experiences, like being in hauntings. And, and so it opened up and I thought, we've got all these things happening to people, but they're never acknowledged. Nobody can really talk about them. And here we've got this really fascinating information about someone who is talking about going on spaceships and what have you. And, you know, what, what, where do you go with that? So the fact that they couldn't help me, I started to explore. And I started off with Dr. John Mack, the psychiatrist of Harvard University, who wrote two books on this and absolutely was convinced at the end of it that this was a reality. And that gave me a, a good grounding, if you like. But from there, of course, a couple of weeks later, somebody else walked through my door with experiences. And it just, we started a support group, 12 people turned up. It was like, this is bigger than I ever believed it to be. And in 1997, I created a CERN, the Close Encounters, Australian Close Encounter Resource Network. What an amazing way to come to where you are now, in all honesty. And you've touched on so many interesting points there, which... I see time and time again from speaking with people who have dealt with this phenomena uh, either their entire life or even quite recently. And the range of people I've spoken to are people who are quite comfortable with it and seek a lot of answers, spend a lot of time researching, which is great. Then I've even spoken to people who really don't know much about the phenomena. They've kind of just pieced together that, I mean, it sounds like uh, they're an abduction experiencer, so they kind of are living with that, but are trying to bury it. You know, they don't they don't want to spend the time on it, and um, those conversations are pretty hard to hear because people, you know, they don't really know who to turn to, and obviously the work that you're doing and the work of um, select others as well is extremely important to this phenomena, just because that's that's exactly the thing, isn't it? Where there's so many people who have these experiences and you believe them, you know, there's no reason to doubt them. They're not, you know, the, the whole thing of people seeking attention from making up these kind of stories or, you know, wanting fame or money off this kind, it's just, that doesn't, it doesn't exist, you know, not like how once upon a time that whole demeanor has really shifted. You know, these are people who yeah, had these insane experiences and as you said, let alone even coming to the conclusion themselves, like God forbid, having to try to explain it to someone else and having them absolutely like ridicule you or just not have any understanding whatsoever. So yeah, the, the position that you've found yourself in, I think is incredible. It's extremely important and it's great that you've taken the time because I think I think I heard that you've seen or spoken with over like 3,000 people or something now on this phenomenon, which is just phenomenal. Like what a massive uh, amount of cases within all that. And 100% thank you for taking the time and 
listening to people like myself to you know who I guess forever are kind of battling with trying to understand what this phenomenon is and how we all kind of play into it. Dylan, um, thank you. Um, what is m- most important here is that that 3,000, 3,500 is the tip of the iceberg, literally. I, I honestly believe there are millions out there that have had these experiences and it depends on the culture often how they interpret it. And it may be purely interpreted as a spiritual experience for some. For others, it's very much part. Of, I mean, many indigenous tribes and around the planet know they're extraterrestrial, they're star people, and they mention that. They already know and accept it and what have you. The sad thing is we have a truth embargo, which means that people, the public, are not told the truth from their governments about this reality. And this has been going on for 70, 80, 90 years. And we're still waiting for some kind of real disclosure on that. Um, and there's lots of reasons why that's happening. Whenever I've been asked by mainstream media, often, you know, they'll say, um, how do you know that, you know, do you actually believe them and what have you? And I, I often have used this analogy that I've never been to Alaska, but if enough people have been to Alaska and see it exists and take photographs of it, then I'm going, I may never go to Alaska, but I've got to believe it exists. Um, and, the, and the bottom line is, why would people, and I say to this as well, come to me from all over Australia and other countries, I've had people come from Europe and what have you to see me, do you think they would spend all that money, all that time, all that energy to come and tell me a fantasy? I'm not going to make them rich. I'm not going to make them famous. They've come because they want answers and they're seeking understanding. And that is, and my clients have been everything from celebrities to lawyers, to doctors, to psychiatrists, to um, nurses, right, farmers, small children. There is no link to say it's one particular type of person in that sense at all. It covers the whole range of our social um, society. And it's, you know, and many of them struggle and often it's the most in what I call the most academic or the most professionals that struggle the most because for them it it disqualifies so much of what they've been educated to believe is reality. And we have unfortunately a psychology still as a model that doesn't take in multidimensional experiences, only your five senses. When we all know we have intuition, we all get sense of things. We all have a knowing about things. We all can, um, there are many that see energy fields, that see spirits and work as healers doing all of that. And that it's recognized without any problem in indigenous tribes. But we've got a psychology that as soon as you experience something out of what they consider the norm, then you are suspect. And that is one of the reasons it's so difficult for people to own their experiences, because as soon as they do so, they often end up hospitalized and medicated. So that, you know, so maybe I am crazy after all. So one of the reasons I wrote the book Awakening was because the where do you go to get help when you're not sure if this is real or not real or whatever? And so, you know, I wrote Awakening for that very reason as a process for people to check out for themselves, how do you deal with the fear? How do you deal with the fact you're experiencing a greater reality? How do you deal with the fact you're waking up with maybe marks on your body or whatever and not knowing how they got there? I meet many, many experiences from all over the world that they are having experiences, but they can't tell their partner or they can't tell the children because they don't wanna hear or they're frightened. So they're even more isolated, even within their own family 
because they can't talk about this. And I've met so many that saying I can't mention it because, you know, she gets scared or he gets scared and says that, you know, I'm going crazy or whatever. So they're not only dealing with it in the wider context, they're actually dealing with it often in their very close family because they're scared and they don't know what to believe and what have you as well. So they're dealing with this isolation from multiple levels, including society, that still wants to think it's a big joke, you know, it's little green men and whatever. So for me, the biggest issue has been the truth embargo, because people are, um, are having and have had for for many, you know, many, many years, having all their lives often, they've been having these experiences. I remember in in a conference I did in Norway some years ago, and I was talking about the star children, the new generations of awake children that are coming in, remembering past lives and remembering um, not only their connection to these beings and what have you, and often believe they've come from various planets where these beings come from and what have you. And I listed all the kind of qualities, not feeling like you've ever belonged, feeling like you feel like you've been adopted, always felt different, seeing things other people don't see and all this kind of stuff. And I went through the list and I remember this beautiful lady she she came up to me and she said she was 79 years old and she said all through her life she's been having all those things that I mentioned and she said and I'm a farmer's wife and I can call the sheep in with my mind and she says and nobody knows how I do it and she said everything you've talked about is is being me and I've never been able to talk about it nearly 80 years old and having to keep that awareness her understanding literally without speaking to anyone. So you're almost li living a, a double life, one that is acceptable and the one that isn't acceptable. And this is why I do what I do, because there's not so many that are prepared to stand up and say, I can help and be open enough to be being, being challenged as I've been multiple times in trying to work out what is reality when you're faced with parallel universes, different timelines, you know, um, star origins, all these kinds of things that come up and so much more that really challenges every belief that you've ever had and gets you to literally reappraise what is reality. Because it's not only the person having the experience, it's someone who's listening to them saying, can I take this on board? Can I accept it's a possibility even? Because when you get exposed to this, it takes you into so many different directions like archaeology, anthropology, religion, science, you know, um, theology. It takes you into all those subjects because it challenges every single one of them. 100%. I find those tendencies appearing time and time again where people who uh, will either have a passion for the paranormal or have experiences and are, and are quite involved in it, you do find that they are some of the most open people to many other facets of life and often seeking answers. And I like, I, I just, it's that thing of, you just see, I personally see it time, time again of people struggling with these experiences. And um, it's, it's a difficult one because I guess you'd be the same as well, having that interest in the paranormal, you know, it's it's acceptable to have a ghost sighting or haunting or maybe seeing a Sasquatch or something. You know, those are often fun, kind of quirky experiences. But uh, Or even seeing a UFO, you know, and with the sort of disclosure movement that's going on now, you know, the general public are quite open to UFOs and 
you know, it's not so taboo. But still, there's something about contactees and, you know, abductees, which it kind of, there's a real foul kind of (laughs) feeling around that still. And even someone like myself, who is very open about this topic, not, not specifically within my friend or family kind of group, they all know that I'm interested in it. But I've been very open with, you know, the thousands of people who listen to the podcast and so on, which is kind of a weird thing in a sense where I don't feel super comfortable talking openly with, you know, people I actually know, but I'll say it to complete strangers, you know. But um, it's that thing of, yeah, it's really hard, I think, to to be someone having these experiences um, and being so open about it. And it's great that I feel like each year, the longer I've been doing the podcast now, it, it's it's gradually getting a little bit better. But I'm sure, and you would know it too, from actually deciding to do this research, you know, the scrutiny that comes with that, it's it's really putting yourself on the line for the greater good, in my opinion. Well, there comes a point in your life, I think, most people may come to this, where you decide that you'll play the game which is you say what's acceptable, you're socially acceptable, you don't rock the boat. And there's been a lot of that with in recent years with all these kinds of new things coming out about what's going on in the world and who, who actually are prepared to actually look at some of the dark stuff that's going on in the world and, and that what others that say, no, don't want to know, don't want to know, don't want to hear it and whatever. What, what is there in you that says, I want the truth, no matter what the truth is? And for me, there was a crucial point in my midlife where if I, I and it was it was when people are faced with death and they may be it might be an illness of some kind where they know they've only got a few weeks to live. And I worked with some of those that knew they were going to die within a few weeks or whatever. And they would say, you know, I don't want to regret this. I, you know, I do regret that I hadn't done this or said this or whatever. And I made a kind of pact with myself. And I thought, you know, I don't want to end up with my family grieving someone they didn't know, someone who put out, this is who I am, saying all the right things, doing all the right things and not upsetting anyone. Or do I want people to grieve the real Mary, which is the one that's sometimes going to say things they don't like, sometimes they're going to get them to challenge them or to do it. Because I wanted them to, if they're going to grieve me, well, grieve the real person, not this pseudo person that's always doing, you know, is always fitting into the model that you expect and whatever. Because that was important to me. It was like saying, and as an example, be true to yourself, ultimately. And and so to be true to myself meant that I would be saying and doing things and maybe being involved in things other people weren't necessarily finding acceptable for a middle-aged woman to do or whatever. But it was important to me, ultimately, as an example to my kids, that they've come to be different. They've come to be part of this uniqueness as a soul onto this planet to bring the gifts that they have. If they're forever complying into a a kind of standard norm, they're not doing that, are they, necessarily? They're not following the mission, you know, the soul mission, which is to live fully and to be yourself and own yourself, even if it isn't always socially acceptable, because that's what, what we need is uniqueness. And this is what we've come to be, I believe, anyway. So for me, when somebody gets upset or doesn't like what I say, I say, well, that's cool. That's fine. I might not like what you say, but that's okay because we're all here experiencing reality in different ways. And your truth is your truth. Mine's mine. Mine might very well change tomorrow. 
because I'm one of these people that, you know, um, I, I can look back on some of the things I believed five or 10, 20 years ago. And that's completely changed now because of what I've learned and what I've grown into. It doesn't bother me or worry me what other people think because they're entitled to think what they think. And it's it's what I think of myself that ultimately matters. That am I being true to myself and true to my journey on this planet? So ultimately for me, they can say what they can think, Mary's men, you know, post-menopause or going senile or whatever. I really don't care. Not because I don't care about people, but I, I don't care about somebody who doesn't know me, who is making a judgment from their own belief system or whatever. And that's that's what we're all doing all the time. So that's okay. So in other words, it doesn't, you know, if whatever the media say, whatever other people say, whatever, that's that is absolutely fine. What isn't good is when we censor people, you know, and that's what's going on a lot these days, as we know, you know, everyone is being censored for thinking differently or having an alternative view. And to me, the richness of society, and I say, look, if something challenges you, have a look at why it challenges you, because you may learn something about yourself that you weren't prepared to look at. And fear is a big one. A lot of people don't want to look at this because it's scary. But often when you face your fear, you realize it wasn't so scary after all, <laughs> you know, and and live, let's live and, and be brave enough to live rather than put ourselves in a box and say, I'm scared of everything because that's not living. You might as well not be here. So that's that's all I'll say about it. Now, that's a great response to that, 100%. I love that. It's that thing of, and you've said you're very open-minded and you just demonstrated that there of five years ago, your opinion has, you know, completely shifted to where it is now. And that's something that I find all the time, you know, when you're so involved in research and hearing these accounts from people and you think one day, I always think, okay, maybe I have the answer to this phenomenon. And then you speak to someone else or you see something and you go, well, that's, that's completely flipped everything on, you know, 180 again. And I think it's, I know you speak about this. It's like that nuts and bolts researcher, right? Of, especially with this phenomena, the idea that these beings are coming into people's homes and physically taking them on a craft. And yes, there are examples of that. But then there's also, and I know you've spoken a bit about this, the, the alternative mindset to that where some of these experiences are actually taking place on a more mental kind of level, you know, when people are asleep, maybe they're astral traveling or hard to really say, I guess it's a case by case kind of point of view. But I, when I sort of, I guess, came across that theory, that really resonated a lot with me, I suppose. And, you know, it sounds like a lot of these experiences are taking place like that, where, you know, people, uh, you know, it's happening in the middle of the night as they're sleeping. It's an important one, um, Dylan, because the the nuts and bolts in ufology has always been show us the proof, the evidence, what you can see, touch, feel and what have you. But unfortunately, with any kind of encounter, whether you call it abduction, experience, uh, um, contactee or whatever, there is sometimes a physical component, but sometimes there isn't one. And what we discovered with the, the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, which was the first organization where I was one of the co-founders, along with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Ray Hernandez, and Dr. Rudy Shield, um, the astrophysicist, the survey that we did with 600 questions with um, 4,200 people globally, we discovered this. And it's very, very important 
because it takes it to a whole new level in terms of the non-physical reality. 75% had their experiences out of body, their consciousness, not their physical body. Only 25% had the experiences in a physical form where they went up on board craft physically. And that is, of course, makes it very um, confronting to the nuts and bolts in ufology, because how do you quantify that when we're still in a psychology that doesn't believe anything that's non-physical is, is, is actually um, credible? And yet what we're really finding out is consciousness is primary, that our consciousness can go into other dimensions, other realities, parallel realities, parallel universes, different timelines. And this takes, you know, in remote viewing, astral traveling, as well as out of body, near death experiences, um, healing experiences, for example, shamanism, all these kinds of things that are being explored more and more, which indicate they're all connected to consciousness, which is we're all connected on another level of consciousness. And and not just humans, but, uh, you know, the, the fauna and the flora and what have you are all connected as well, because we know that, that plants have an intelligence. Animals, of course, have an intelligence. I meet people who can communicate with animals. One of them is a, a veterinary surgeon in Chile who actually mentioned and wanted me to say that she not only talks to the animals to tell the owners what's going on with them, but the ones that have passed on. So who are we to say that's not relevant or that's not real when just because we don't experience it? And this is the whole thing is people, because of our, our you know, our programming, particularly Western programming, it, it is all in this very Cartesian materialistic kind of um, format that says you can't experience anything outside of your physical body. This is just a vehicle, to, a material vehicle the consciousness inside is eternal. And anyone who's had past life experiences knows that. And I've met and worked with people who've had many, many past lives and children who remember them quite consciously and talk about coming from other planets and talking about why they've come here and what their mission is and what their purpose is. And these are children, five, six, seven, eight years old that have got no, you know, some say, oh, well, the parents have programmed them or, you know, this is the favorite is to blame the parents. Yeah. The parents say, we don't even know some of the concepts they've come out with, let alone program them into it. And it scared the parents because mm. they've written to me and said, my child has talked about this or talked about, you know, various portals around the planet or, you know, what the, what the Sphinx and the pyramids are all about and how they've been here before. You know, this is this is when you've got to say, hold on a minute is in fact what we are educated into believing actually accurate. And in many cases, when you explore it, you realize, no, it isn't. That when we are programmed to be more limited to what we actually are capable of. And this in itself is what's happening now is we're having a kind of awakening, if you like, of consciousness where people are starting to question. And some of the things that have happened in the last few years I think have been instrumental in that because people have realized they've been misled on multiple levels and they're starting to say, hold on, if I've been misled here, where else have I been misled? And it'll be this, 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 and this. And you find it, it's, it opens up a whole new way of looking at reality and our, you know, and what we, what we've been taught to believe. And in many cases, the very limited version of the truth. When you say that 
there's kind of the shift that's been happening the last little while. I feel like a lot of people will feel that and notice that. I mean, the last little while in my life, I feel like everything's kind of ramping up to something, you know, and you can choose to ignore that. But I, I've sort of just, I don't know, it's, I can usually um, compartmentalize my life quite well because I do a lot of different things and I can only really do one of those things at one time. Otherwise it becomes too overwhelming. But but whatever subconsciously is kind of, you know, digging at the back of my mind right now is has has been constantly there of late. And I'm not really sure what that is. But um when we spoke on the phone, I think two weeks ago, just briefly for ten minutes, normally when I I mean the whole reason for doing this podcast is I love the paranormal and the reason for doing it has changed over time. At first it was really a selfish way for me to just get all these ideas out of my mind and for them to live somewhere. Whether or not people listened, that was sort of beside the point at that time. It was just, it was a necessary thing to do for whatever reason, but it was almost out of my control in a sense. But um, but since then, it has become more of a platform to hopefully help people get more of an understanding um, and just to hear the differences of experiences that happen to everyday people, in all honesty, without any judgment. That's the big thing too of, um, yeah, really letting people tell their truth and me respecting that and hopefully everyone else listening respect that. But um Getting back to what I was just about to say, though, when I spoke to you two weeks ago, normally with all this material, uh, it's exciting for me. You know, I I, I get a lot of joy, uh, and it kind of scratches an itch to get to talk about this stuff because it's it feels like I kind of have to. But after that conversation with you, I don't know what it was, and it was nothing to do with you whatsoever. But I had extreme anxiety, and it was. Because I, I took that call um, while I was still at work, I was probably you know halfway through my day, and it probably completely set me back like an hour or so, just because I could not get back into the rhythm of what I was doing. And it's um, I can't say I've felt like that around. I mean, I'm starting to feel like that even now, um, talking about it. But the yeah, this subconscious feeling of. <laughs> Yeah, anxiety. And I'm, I'm not someone, I mean, we all sort of deal with um, stress, depression, anxiety in a lot of different ways, but I usually just kind of, you know, try not to really ever let it get to me. But this has been, um, yeah, it's been very prominent. And I never really thought much about it. You know, I get in regular kind of parts of life, you know, job, money, relationships, what can have you. But the fact that I'm sort of feeling this way when I'm questioning if I've had these experiences is a very foreign place for me to be right now. And it's, um, and I don't really know where it's even come from, to be honest. It's just in the last maybe six weeks. Um, and there was a period where I was doing, I probably did three interviews over the course of a week and with different people from all different walks of life, but we often the conversation kind of does come back to me, or, you know, I'm at least trying to sympathize with the people I'm speaking to. And all of them brought up really interesting points that could be related to me. And I think that's, I think I'm just kind of gotten to the point now where I need to really like look inwards 
and the fact that it makes me feel unlike, I mean, I don't think I've really ever felt like this before about anything in a sense. It's, um, it really adds to, I think the weight of how important it is for me currently to, uh, yeah, try to see if I can get more answers, I suppose, and not just to be a vessel for other people, um, to kind of express their experiences through the podcast, but actually maybe try to find some answers and be able to help people directly from me as well. I I think it's very brave of you, Dylan, to own the fact that this is triggering you in some way. And the interesting thing is that often it's been sometimes a book cover that's done that for people. And of course, the most famous is Whitley Strieber's book Communion with the face on it where people have been fine and then have just gone to a bookstore and seen that face. and, And then all of a sudden they've had this huge anxiety and wondered where, why they can't look at it. Or, you know, one lady said she bought the book and then found she couldn't read it, you know, because it was, and, and that's that's a real indicator, you know, because I can look at that and think, oh, that's an interesting face. You know, it doesn't trigger me. Doesn't mean I haven't had experience, but not obviously similar ones to that, you know, but certainly nothing that seems to affect me and everybody's different. So if that's the case, then there's something, you know, when we're drawn into certain fields of interest, I believe behind that is a a subconscious, superconscious desire to understand things, to understand more about ourselves. And it drives us into learning about lots of different things because that's what motivates us. And so it's significant. It's like somebody who's had a past life, for example, in a particular country, and they may have no recollection of that past life whatsoever. And I've often said, have you ever felt there are certain countries that you're particularly drawn to and not others? Why not? You know, you're drawn to China, but not Uruguay, to Britain, but not North America or whatever. What is that that drives you? And it's not necessarily just the culture or whatever. There's just, I'd like to, I'd like to go there. Somehow I, I feel I need to go there. Generally, that's related to a past life because the desire for maybe China other, rather than India or, you know, Thailand rather than Germany or whatever. Often there's something that drives us to help us understand more about ourselves. And for this particularly, there'll be certain indicators that tell me when I send out my questionnaire, I will look at what triggers people, what do they relate to and what have you. And it can be very broad, you know, Um, and not everybody can connect their experiences that might be with they see as their spirit guide or connection to um, angels or whatever and not necessarily realize that in all of that may very well be an extraterrestrial intelligence that is a light being. I mean, some will say, yes, I see angels all the time because that's coming from their more perhaps religious kind of perspective. But actually, that may very well be a light being, which is ET. But because their belief system puts it in this category, they're not going broader. And I've met so many intuitives that have, you know, believed that their spirit guide was, you know, this person or that person or whatever, and ended up finding out that they were a mantis being or a blue being, or, you know, when they've actually discovered the truth of what they look like, it's been something quite different. So I believe when you're triggered, it's telling you something. 
It's telling you about yourself on some level and it's whether or not you want to follow through on that and actually get more understanding. It may not be because it's a terrible thing either. It may be that it's just saying this is relevant to you. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I think I think a lot of the negativity surrounding um, abduction is due to lack of understanding, of course, right? You know, because I mean, the idea of being taken uh, sort of against your will, or at least against the will that you believe that you have, because there's obviously the the theory that you've kind of signed onto this in a past life, what kind of have you. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, it does sound terrifying, of course. Um, And if you don't, if you're not open to it, uh, of course, it's going to probably have negative effects as well. If you're not kind of allowing yourself to let it happen or, you know, there's a lot of factors to that. But um, yeah, I don't, it's that thing of, I don't think I can, um, not that I was ever really avoiding it, but it's the difference once again between being someone who has been very fixated on this phenomenon. Like, I mean, I even remember being a kid, and for whatever reason, there was a lot of um, grey alien type paraphernalia as I was growing up. I don't know why I had, you know, little figurines and even this like mask, which it was frightening as a kid. I remember, you know, even I had these those figurines, and I set them up. Um, on my desk and I had a bunk bed above that desk. And for the next few nights when those little grey alien figures were on the desk, I dreamt about aliens those next few nights, you know, and being young, I just kind of thought strange sort of nightmare, but then I kind of, you know, moved them, put them aside. My grandfather was cr- quite interested in UFOs and he had these VHS tapes that he gave me. Probably, I probably was too young for them, but I mean, they, they would have been from the 80s. And those researchers like Bud Hopkins and so on on there. So I was kind of um, that side of actual research was like brought to me at a really young age. But I remember I couldn't even have the VHS cover like in the lounge room <laughs> after watching that because, you know, the the spine of the VHS had, you know, like a grey alien face on it. And of course, being, you know, probably the age of 10, it's not, it's not unusual to feel a certain way towards that imagery. And now I've really embraced that, obviously. It's quite, um, you see it everywhere and so on. But I still, out of everything that is sort of within the paranormal and, you know, looking at people's interpretations of things, it's always the greys, 100%, that um, still sort of evokes something. And it seems to be that case for a lot of people. And, yeah, I definitely agree that your instincts do tell you something, you know, and... I think it's, yeah, I think I just need to really listen to that at the moment. Well, I think it's a process, you know, in terms of acceptance and and moving. There are some people that haven't explored a whole range of experiences till they're in their 40s, 50s or 60s. And they, you know, they might be their middle 60s before they say these things happened when I was a child. These things happened when, you know, I was having my kids or whatever. But they haven't quite got to the point where they said, I need to find out now, I need to know. And it might be in their middle years, or it might be even in their senior years. So there's not a rule around that. It's just, when are you ready? And and that is, for everyone, it's different. For some, they're still pretty young. Others, as I say, it might not be till they're in their 60s. 
you know, or whatever. So I don't think there's a rule behind it. It's just whether or not there's a part of you that says, I need to know about this now. I need to understand more of who and what I am and what is this that I've known about for a long time. I feel like maybe over the years, maybe I wasn't at the place of being ready just in the last few weeks, reaching out to you and so on, I guess I sort of just found myself there. And I mentioned to you sort of briefly on the phone how bizarre I feel like all of this has come about. And I can I can sort of flesh that out a bit more here for you because it's it's almost like you couldn't write it in a sense. I don't know. It's <laughs> there's so many strange sort of um, synchronicities around this podcast. But I started Paranormal Thoughts in, I think it was mid-October 2016. And a month after that first um, episode, I think I might have done maybe three or four episodes at that point, I had this massive, maybe four days of synchronicities. And the whole reason I kind of started the podcast at that time is because I kind of came across the idea of synchronicity and the paranormal because it's so prevalent all the time for so many different people in a lot of different ways. And um, that evening I was driving home and I happened to be listening to a podcast I'd listened to earlier that year, which was Robin Trish McGregor. They were talking about their book, uh, Aliens in the Backyard. Um, and that touches on synchronicity a fair bit. And I was, I was lucky enough to interview the both of them and get to speak to them about this. And that was also another kind of moment of maybe connecting some dots. But I was listening to that podcast and I thought back to an interview that you did with Mike Cleland that I'd listened to earlier that week. And you said the statement of, because I think Mike asked you, have you ever had an experience? And you answered, well, if I have, I don't have any recollection of it. You said something to that extent. And that was the first time hearing someone, I feel like hearing a researcher get asked that question and had that answer. I mean, it's so, it seems so obvious, but I'd never really framed it in that point of view where, oh, maybe, maybe something has happened just because I don't have any recollection at this point, maybe, who knows, but I'd never had really thought of that. But I'm listening to Robin Trish thinking about what you said and then I see an owl fly in front of my car, land on a street sign and I get out and obviously having been looking into Mike's work the last few months, I was like, well, this is a bit, this is a bit eerie in a sense, like all of these things kind of coming together I think what you've touched on, um, Dylan, is the synchronicities that many find once they are following a certain path, all sorts of things seem to, it's almost like you pull them in from your superconscious self into saying, are you taking notice? Are you taking notice? Are you taking notice? Because it, it, the more you become aware of synchronicities, the more they happen, I've, I've discovered anyway. So in other words, it's it's validating what you're suspecting and what have you. And I will say, given the fact that I have no conscious memory, I have been told by several people they've seen me on the craft. But um, one of them said, not looking the way you do now, Mary. So I'm not sure whether that's just my astral body or something. And that's quite possible, of course. The fact is, I think some of us need to remember certain things and others maybe not. And maybe we we remember when we're, we're meant to, you know, because I do believe it's all about timing. And maybe if I remembered too much, I might be less inclined to be 
um, available for others if I'm so busy finding my own journey with all of that. So I suspect that could be the case as well, is that they want to keep me on track and, and helping those. And also it, it actually gives validation to the whole thing too. The less you're a believer because you've had experiences, which I haven't, not that I'm aware of. So in a way, the fact that I believe them, given the fact that I haven't had any like that, gives it credibility. Sadly, it's the way it works on this planet. Yeah. Yes. You know, if you're, if you're not a believer, and it actually really annoys me with media where they say, oh, are you a believer? I only believe what I found to be tangibly real and true, not because I'm choosing to just believe it for the sake of believing it. I mean, if somebody had said to me as a nurse, do you believe that, you know, that we are being visited? I said, well, I don't know, because I, I've not seen any evidence of it, but I you know, wouldn't dismiss it because I don't think that was, you know, that shows any kind of intelligence when you shut down things just because you're not exposed to them. You can say, well, I, as far as I know at the moment, I haven't come across enough evidence to show me that that's so, but it could very well be so. You know what I mean? But this believing as though you believe carte blanche, anything that you're shown, um, when in fact religion, they do that. They're taught to believe a lot of things that I'm saying, well, where is the evidence? <laughs> you know? um, and sometimes there isn't a lot of evidence. It's just a pretty story, you know, and I'm not deliberately trying to knock that. But, you know, in, in religion, you're supposed to have faith, aren't you? That's what they say. You have faith that happens. Well, faith doesn't work with facts necessarily, you know, or what we call our reality. You know, it's it's lovely to have it if it gives you comfort and whatever. But there are a lot of things that we've been told within a religious scenario that I would I actually struggle with because I don't know how that would work. You know what I mean? So for me, it is about what is tangibly real is when you get enough people of all different socio-economic groups, different cultures, different belief systems, all having a similar experience. You can't say then, oh, well, it's just one or two people here. When you've got the same patterns, hundreds, thousands, millions, having similar experience, you're going to have to say, oh, hold on a minute. Maybe there's something real to this after all. How often is it that someone might approach you uh, in, in I guess, in a similar situation to where I am, where there's no memory of a particular experience, but there's all of these other messages and I suppose the the sense of, I don't know, importance or, uh, I don't know, I guess their path has kind of brought them to this place where they've, you know, I guess have Googled who can help me um, seek these answers. Is Is it that common? Actually, it's very common because lots of people, I think, or sense or know on some level, the reason they're drawn to this is because there's some relevance to them, but they may not be ready or they don't know where to go to get answers. And I've even had people come to my office and travel, you know, many kilometers or whatever to come and say, I don't know why I've come, but I just knew I had to come. <laughs> you know? And I think, oh, right. So that sort of opens up, you know, a big uh mandate here and that it's amazing how many particularly those that have worked in the spiritual field to begin with that have worked as healers or you know readers you know or um a whole range of those kind of they've done lots of shamanic work or whatever and have sensed on some level there's more to it 
but have never quite got to the point of seeing the indicators that suggest that this is relevant to them. And that's why the questionnaire I send out, send out is unique to a CERN because it's not just about have you seen a UFO or whatever, it's, it's about all the other senses. Have you sensed energy, for example? Do you see orbs of light? Do you get messages or downloads? You know, do you sense presences and this kind of thing? Do you always feel that you've never really belonged here? Have you felt like you've been adopted? Um, have you felt that you've come from somewhere else? Do you feel like you've got a mission? Because those things are not particularly tangible, but are actually very relevant to the feelings and sensings and knowings of someone who's had something go on that is multidimensional. And I think, you know, it, it gets us right back to this whole thing of what is consciousness. And consciousness, we're still trying to, the science is still trying to qualify and quantify what is human consciousness. But we do know that it seems there's no limit to what it can experience. And that includes, you know, everything that we're learning about, like remote viewing and all these other things that are, are coming up now that show that our consciousness can go to places and we can be in bed and it's going off traveling somewhere. And it could be in other dimensions and it could be, you know, and that's what, you know, when, when you've got um, military across the world using scientific remote viewing, for example, because it's so darned accurate and it's all about consciousness, you've got to say they know this is true but it's still not fully accepted by the public as a reality. And that's where we have to go. We have to bring in the acceptance that we're more than our physical body and that that um, consciousness is fundamental to what we are as a species. And that is why a lot of the books that are coming out with the organization that's moved from the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free to the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute on one of the books, that's come out, excuse me if I, um, which is this one, A Greater Reality. And in it is all about NDEs, OBEs, UFOs, spirits, remote viewing, um, shamanic journeys, all to do with, and most of the accounts in here, chapters are from scientists or people, neuroscientists, physicists, and what have you, all talking about the reality of what we call consciousness through these experiences. So it's coming out, but it's still not fully accepted, although in some levels it is now starting to be accepted that this is okay and you can actually start exploring it without being thought that you're, you know, that you're a weirdo and what have you. And that has to happen. And it is happening. And more and more people actually are writing out, writing, writing about their own experiences. Very credible people. I mean, you've got um, or is it even Alexander talked, who's a neuroscientist, about his own near-death experience, and and how he it changed his life. Well, these experiences change your life as well. And if you want to know a reality, does it change you? And these experiences change people fundamentally in every area of their lives. They become completely different in terms of their focus, their understanding, their way of living, and many of them notice an 85 percent expansion of their psycho-spiritual belief system, if you like, and, re and experience. It has changed them forever in a, in a very positive way in most cases, ultimately. Uh, I won't keep you too much longer because I know you have to run, but um, I definitely would love to set up a hypnosis regression with you um, whenever you have the chance, of course. But could you just run us through what 
what that process looks like. I'm very curious to how you approach it. Well, I approach it from a very spiritual perspective because this is multidimensional and it's not about stopping smoking and and all the rest of it. So it's talking to the subconscious, superconscious about releasing information and being prepared to release information about a certain experience. So it's basically bringing in that awareness through being relaxed in the same way you meditate and you maybe want to talk to your inner wisdom or your higher self or your angel or whatever. It's a similar kind of thing where you relax somebody sufficiently um, and energetically to take them to a place where they can start to decide where they need to go. And if you have a focus, like it might be when you're four years old, that something happened. So you take them to, um, and usually it can be something like a passageway where there's all the doors and you're going through the door that's going to take you to that. You're trusting the superconscious to take you to that experience and saying, what age was it? Oh, and I'll say what's on the door. And they say, oh, it's four or it's three. Right. Okay. That That's what your subconscious, superconscious is showing you. When you go through that, where are you? You know, are you inside or out? outside what are you seeing on the you know on the floor or whatever um and what what kind of can can you see things or you know there's some people say well it's dark or it's it's morning or it's whatever it is okay what's in front of you so you're not saying you're not telling them what's in front of them you're saying what's in front of you so they will say well i'm i'm just standing here or something and i'll and sometimes i'll say is there anything around you do you feel any presence for example and they may say well, yeah, I feel something behind me or something like that. That is usually the start of them really tapping in then to the next part. What happens next? And they may say, I see a light or I see a a craft or I see what, what happens next? And they say, I'm inside or I've gone up in a light or whatever. So they start to share what's happening next. And, And my job isn't to tell them what's happening next. Are you seeing or are you whatever? My job is just to if you like, metaphorically hold their hand and say, well, what's the next thing you see? What's the next important thing you see that's telling you about your experience? And they they may say, well, I'm in a room or describe the room to me. Is So what I'm doing is giving them, a, you know, an opportunity to explore it with me, um, if you like, giving them the right questions. So it's about asking the right questions. What are you seeing? Um, oh, I'm seeing somebody standing there. What do they look like? How tall are they? What colors the skin? You know, so you're giving them a chance to describe what they're seeing. So it's it's about allowing that space for them to explore this. And people say to me, how do you know they're not, you know, making it up? And, and often when it's been really unusual, I'll say to them in your, you know, if you, if I'd said to you, imagine an experience, would you have imagined that? And usually is not in a million years. <laughs> and there is a difference to imagining to a reality. And the other thing that I say to them is this, that the reason you know it's not your imagination, it's like saying to you, what's your room look like? Your bedroom. And you'll say, oh, my bedroom, the window's here, the door's there, the bed's there or whatever, because it's your bedroom and it's a reality. If I said to you, create a bedroom, you would have to think about that and say, ah, well, where would I put the door? Would I have one or two windows? And what would the color of the walls be? It's a completely different process. And when someone's in hypnosis, you're not saying create something. You're saying, what are you seeing? 
you know, what's around you? What's to your right? What's to your left? You're not saying create something. You're actually saying to them, tell me what you see. So my job isn't to preempt anything, just to help them with their exploration of whatever that experience wants to show them or their subconscious superconscious wants to show them. So, it, you know, and actually people often find it very, very helpful because sometimes what they've imagined has been quite, you know, can be really scary, whereas the reality may not be as scary as that at all and can often be um, a lot more manageable than they thought it was going to be. And they can find answers because they can communicate in that space and even ask the intelligence, why have you brought me here? So they can start actually asking questions. And that's also part of how they get to understand their connection to these intelligences and why maybe they've been part of that particular program, if you like. That sounds amazing, though. Just, yeah, the whenever I've thought about going down the hypnosis route, I've always been very cautious, I suppose. And I always tell that to people just because it's very easy to misdirect, of course. But, um, I mean, as soon as I first heard you speaking on a podcast and just hearing your voice, I was like, you, I could tell that you're the real deal, you know, very genuine. Um, and you're doing this for all the right reasons. You know, I feel like a lot of people listening can see themselves within you as well, because you're seeking answers. You know, you're trying to, yeah, you're just trying to help those who don't really have a voice. Just the way you are explaining that then, um, I figured that that is what your process is, but it's just great. It's great to hear that, yep, you're just asking the client, what are they seeing? You know, you're just letting them tell their story. Uh, And very interesting too, as you said, that the experience isn't typically what they would have assumed, which gives it a lot of of weight as well. So it's definitely something, yeah, I'd like to to do and obviously get to, uh, if there is anything, get to sort of share that um, with the podcast as well to um, help anyone listening in that exact same position. You know, the amount of people I speak to who um, have experiences but have never gone down the hypnosis route for the exact same reason of who do you who do you trust? Who, who who's there to help? You know. So I think um, I don't know. Not to say that I feel like this is all meant to have sort of happened, but I feel like there's so so much coincidence. I mean, even you living in the same state a few hours north you know it's just like i don't know it's funny how things work sometimes so if this is what is kind of meant to have happened in order to share my experience with people to help them then i mean that that makes me happy at the end of the day i feel like that's somewhat maybe of the purpose of all of this for me well i'm glad that's reassured you dylan and and and, and to be quite frank a lot of misconceptions are around hypnosis where people are going to influence you in a certain way and all this kind of stuff. The important thing with it is that whoever's doing it doesn't have an agenda. Any hypnotherapist that doesn't have made up their mind that this is going to be good or this is going to be bad or whatever. And there have been researchers in the past that have learned hypnosis who are not therapists that have done that, that have always seen a, an an intent behind something, another agenda behind it. And one of the most important things it has been for me is not to have any, to be as objective and as neutral as possible, because you are the one that's going to make up your mind how you want to interpret that, 
whether you see it as beneficial, your interactions or not beneficial with your interaction. You have the choice to decide at the end of the day, they're, bene you know, they're benevolent or not benevolent. It's not for me to say that, but there have been researchers and, and still are researchers that have made up their mind that all interactions are either really bad or all very good and all the rest of it. Whereas I'm, it's as a therapist, my job is to help you understand yourself and your own experiences to a point where you interpret them how you choose to, because ultimately it's it's your journey. It's not mine and it's not for me to tell you what to think or to believe. And that that has been very, very important. But, you know, so that's why it is in, important to get to know whoever you're working with and what is their perspective, because you need to know that they'll be objective and neutral and that they will just be there to facilitate the understanding. No, that's amazing. I feel very fortunate to have been able to uh, connect with you, uh, even just to have gotten to speak with you today. I think it's extremely beneficial for people listening, um, but also uh, selfishly, I think it's very beneficial for myself as well. And as I kind of said, that was sort of the reason behind starting the podcast. So it's kind of funny how, I know these things kind of come full circle in a sense, but Mary, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and obviously, as I keep saying, uh, the work that you're doing, uh, it's it does not go unnoticed, that's for sure. It's very, it's very important. And I hope that more and more people get to come to terms with some of their experiences and hopefully seek answers and try to put a positive spin on all of this, I suppose, because it can be, yeah, it can get pretty heavy, of course. And um, as we've said, if if you kind of do seek those answers and kind of come out the other end, it seems like it's for the better. So, I, yeah, I just thank you. I can't really thank you enough. Oh, you're most, most welcome, Dylan. It's been lovely to talk with you. So there was my conversation with Mary Rodwell. I uh, really appreciate Mary giving me her time uh, to – really just open up this dialogue just around this phenomena and what she actually does before she actually, you know, um, puts me under uh, in hypnosis to see if we can actually uncover anything there. Um, I'm going to play a little snippet of what you're going to hear in part three of my hypnosis because I know that's what you're all really wanting to hear and get my thoughts on. Um, so part three is the episode which... I wouldn't say dreading is the word to put out, but um, there's a bit of dread, to to be completely honest, about um, sharing what we ended up uncovering. So I'll leave you with a little bit of that, and I look forward to seeing you in the next part of me search for answers about my potential experiences with alien abduction. Thank you. You look directly in front of you, or what do you sense is directly in front of you? A bed. Okay. And whose bed is it? it it's mine, my bed. So you're in a bedroom that is appears to be yours. I want you to tell me what it's like in there. Is it light or dark, or can you can you see well or not? Directly in front of me where the bed is, it's quite bright, but then towards my left... I can't see anything. It's just very dark. Okay. And the light towards the bed, is that? It, does that look normal to you or does it look different or unusual? It's, just, it's, it's 
kind of just changed. It's become really bright. I can see it's like the light's coming through the blinds, through the mm. slots. Hmm. What happens next? Uh, it's like I can hear a, a low hum in my ears. Yeah. Okay. Then what happens? The light just, it's extremely bright. Like, it's Ooh. like the sun 